Welcome to a podcast from Alive Church in Newark. We believe that the gospel changes lives, so we hope you're ready to hear from God, be challenged and inspired. Here's our speaker for today. Series looking at what it means to be all in for one another and for church and for God. And like I say, we're going to be focusing on prayer this morning. And um, I don't know about you, but for me personally, prayer is something that I kind of move around a bit of a continuum on. Sometimes it's something that I feel like I'm not doing enough of. Sometimes I pray with more faith than others. Sometimes the things that I pray about are different to other times. And um, I think that's true for all of us. And so I think we can all probably agree as well that it's something that we could all do more of. We could always do with more prayer. And it's something that is a foundational bedrock of our Christian faith. This conversation that we have with God is the, is imperative to our Christian faith. And so we're going to look at that a little bit this morning. We're going to look at a story from the book of Acts. We're going to look at how the church there were praying and what we can learn from, uh, from what they were doing. Does that sound good? Cool, so I'm going to start with prayer, and then we're going to get stuck in. Lord, I thank you that you, um, that you have ears that are attentive to hear us. I thank you that you are always there, ready and listening, waiting for us to speak to you. I thank you that when we pray to you, it's not just us coming and speaking at you, God, but you speak back to us. It's part of a conversation. Lord, I pray that as I speak this morning, it will be less of me and more of you, and that each one of us will leave here feeling encouraged and excited um, to delve deeper into prayer to you, Lord. Amen. Cool. So like I mentioned, we're looking at a story in the book of Acts. It's actually from Acts 12. If anyone's got their Bibles with them, feel free to turn there. Um, and this is a story of a church who are praying in a time of crisis. So I'm going to read from um, verse 1. And it says, it was about this time that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, put to death with the sword. Wow, what a way to start the chapter. (laughs) So we have a church here who are under persecution. They are at risk daily. They are under a king who is intent on persecuting them. And they have seen James, who was one of the 12 disciples, they have seen him taken and beheaded, executed, put to death with a sword, it says. Can you imagine the level of fear that must have been permeating through the church at that point? They also have seen Jesus taken and executed. They've seen James taken and executed. Any one of them could be next. That fear of what is going to happen must have been tangible. And it doesn't say specifically, it doesn't say explicitly within the text here, but from what we know of the early church, from what we know of the way that they behaved, it's likely that they prayed for James because we read of them as being a praying church. And so they would have prayed for James and yet he was still beheaded. And that mixture of prayer that wasn't answered in the way that they'd hoped, along with the persecution and the circumstances they were facing, must have been really distressing and disorientating for them, just not knowing what's going to happen next. And we may know what happens in the rest of this story. I've got a little heading above my chapter, which kind of gives the ending away. But maybe you don't know, and the early church certainly didn't know what was going to happen next. And just that, oh, I can't even imagine how terrifying that must have been. And for us sometimes as well, and I want to start with this because I know that there will be people in this room and I've been in this situation many times where you are in that situation of disorientation and unsure what's going on. Maybe a prayer that you have asked God for hasn't been answered in the way that you had hoped that it would. And that can have a real impact on us. It can impact our levels of faith. 
It can mean that next time we pray for something, we aren't praying with the same faith that we would want to and the same faith that we had before. It might be that it actually makes us really angry makes us really angry maybe with God for not answering in the way that we'd hoped or it makes us angry with people around us who sometimes maybe say unhelpful things or people around us who are seeing answers to prayer and that can make us really angry it can make us sometimes as well I think feel foolish feel foolish for believing that something would have gone the way that we hoped rather than the way that it did and it can make us feel at the end of ourselves and a bit hopeless and a bit helpless that if God won't answer this prayer in the way that I'd hoped, then what next? It can be hard to trust that God has a good plan for us, even though we know that he does. And so that might be your situation this morning. It might be that you have prayed for something and it actively has gone the other way to the way that you thought. And you are wrestling with that right now. It might be that you are praying and praying and praying for something that you've not yet seen an answer to. And I just want you to know that I am not, I've been in both of those positions and I know how hard that is. And as I was preparing for this this morning, I was reminded of the story in the Old Testament of uh, the fiery furnace of when King Nebuchadnezzar takes Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And he says that because they won't worship him, he's going to put them in the fiery furnace. And they say, whether God delivers me from this or not, that won't stop me from worshiping God. So I just want to encourage us with this this morning that even if we are in a place at the moment of uncertainty and prayer that hasn't been answered in the way that we'd hoped, God is still God. He is still uh, worthy to be worshipped and he is still there listening for our prayers. And we see this outworked in Acts chapter 12 as well. We see a church full of prayers who endure even through this distress and this disorientation. And it wasn't just the stuff that was happening to the church that they had to deal with. There were specific things, the persecution and uh, all those things they were dealing with as a church. But there was a wider economic downturn and famine that the church were having to deal with as well. They weren't immune to that. They still had mouths to feed. They still had families to provide for. They were still dealing with these external circumstances and still having to endure in prayer through those things as well. And that's something I think we can relate to. We, no matter what, where you sit on various things that are going on in this world, I'm sure we can all agree that this world is broken. And we have to make sure that we, our prayers can endure through that. And the way they endure through that is because we have a hope in Jesus. And Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. He is consistent through every personal situation and every external situation. And we can cling to him. We can cling to the hope that he has. And that allows us to endure, to be prayers who endure through all situations. So turning back to this um, chapter in Acts 12 from verse 3, it says, when he, that's Herod, when King Herod saw that John's beheading met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. This happened during the festival of unleavened bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod intended to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. So we have a church here, like I say, they're seeing their leaders taken and executed. And then now they're seeing Peter. And Peter has been arrested and they're seeing this pattern repeating. And they'd be forgiven for thinking that chances are that Peter is going to be executed as well. Because that's what they've seen. They've prayed for James and seen that James has been executed. And so they might be forgiven for thinking, well, what's the point in praying for Peter? We have seen this happen before and chances are Peter's 
Peter's going to be executed. Another one of our leaders, another one of the 12 apostles is going to be executed. What is the point in being persistent in praying for these things? There are other reasons as well why they might have decided that it wasn't worth it. We, uh, we read in, uh, it's the next verse actually, but we read that he's still in prison the night before um, he's due to be brought out for trial. We know that he's going to be brought out, like it says there, the day after the Passover. And I don't know if the early church knew that that's when he was going to be brought out, but they probably had an idea that after the religious festival was over, that's when Peter would be brought out for trial. And the night before, Peter is still in prison. So they're probably thinking, I think I would be thinking, well, we, he's being brought out for trial tomorrow. This is, we're cutting this fine now. There's no way that this is, what's the point in praying for this? And also the situation that Peter was in was pretty, pretty bad. Like he is chained. He's been guarded by four soldiers at a time. He is in prison. He is kind of within so many confines of chains. Like it just feels like an impossible situation. And we read there that Herod is intent on persecuting Christians. Herod's not just going to change his mind and let Peter go. So what's the point in praying for Peter? And a final reason, and probably one that might have been the most poignant for the early church, is that Jesus actually prophesied that Peter was going to die a martyr's death. uh, Jesus prophesied that Peter was going to die because of his faith. We read it in John 21 when Jesus is talking to Peter after he's been resurrected, and he says, when you are old, you are going to be led somewhere where you don't want to go. And John, who is the author of John's gospel, he explains that, and he says, this is Jesus saying, that Peter is going to die a death that glorifies God. And that's what the early church was seeing here. Peter had been arrested and he's probably going to be executed. But, you know, Jesus has prophesied that Peter is going to die a martyr's death. So maybe this is the time. So what's the point in praying for it? But that's not what we see. We read there that this is a church who earnestly prayed, a church who were praying earnestly to God for Peter. They persisted in prayer despite all these reasons why they could have just said, no, I'm not going to do it. Even though they knew they had no guarantees that Peter was going to be released because they'd seen a similar thing happen with James, they had no guarantees, but they persisted in prayer anyway because they had a hope and faith in Jesus. And this, I think, is a real challenge to us to be persistent in prayer. It might be that we are in a situation where we need, we know we need to pray for something that last time we were dealing with a situation, last time we prayed for it, um, it didn't happen as we wanted, didn't happen as we'd hoped. And so we're thinking, well, what's the point in praying for this again? It might be that you are praying and praying and praying and praying for something and you're struggling to keep persisting in prayer because God is saying, wait, God is saying not yet. It might be that we think that time is running out on something or that our situation is just so big, so impossible that there's no way that God can break through. Can I just encourage you just to keep persisting in prayer? We should be prayers who are always bringing things to God, who are persisting in our prayers. And although I'm saying that's something that we should do, I'm by no means saying it's something that is easy to do. I'm not saying it's something that's easy to do. I've had a situation more than one, but there's one in particular where I prayed for something like I've never prayed for anything before in my life. And it didn't happen. It didn't come out as I wanted. Um, the thing that I'd hoped for, God didn't answer my prayer in the way that I'd hoped. And subsequent to that, I've been asked to pray for someone in a similar situation. And that is really hard to pray with faith for someone, for something that you have not seen answered for yourself. That is really hard. I'm not saying that it's easy. 
But it's something that we need to do. It's something that we need to keep trusting God and coming back and persisting in our prayers. And it might be that sometimes we think that things are impossible. We see a situation and we think there is no way here. But we need to remember. Can I encourage you to write down when God answers your prayers? Because when we come to a situation where we think this is too hard, there is always a situation that we can remember where God has made a way where we thought there wasn't a way. And we need to be able to bring those things to remembrance when we're struggling to keep persisting because we, need to, we, it, we can so easily forget the prayers that God has answered when we're faced with something that he's, we're struggling to persist through. So can I just encourage you just to write those things down so that you can bring them. Testimony is so powerful. We read here about a church who had every reason really not to pray for Peter, but it says here that they prayed earnestly. The church was earnestly praying for Peter. They weren't just praying because they felt they ought to. They weren't just praying half-heartedly. It says here they were praying earnestly for Peter. And we need to be churches who, we need to be people within a church who persist and who pray earnestly to God for the things that we're petitioning him for. Because like I say, the early church didn't know the end of the story from the beginning and we don't know the end of our personal circumstances yet from where we stand. But God does and God will work these things out, but we have to be persistent. So carrying on reading through from verse six. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea what the angel was doing. It was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through. When they'd walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent an angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. (laughs) You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. So here we read the miracle that happens. We read how Peter was, um, was in prison. He was waiting to be brought out and an angel appears to him and the chains fall off him and he is able to walk unharmed through and out of the prison and to uh, the house where people are praying for his release. And he gets there, these people who are praying fervently for his release at that exact moment when he knocks on the door and they don't believe that it's him at the door. And in fact, Peter doesn't even, to start off with, believe that what is happening to him is really happening. It says there in verse 9 that he thinks that what he's seeing is a vision. He doesn't realise that it's really happening until later on. 
And like I say, he gets there in this church and they're saying, oh, no, it's just this angel. It's not, don't be, it's not Peter at the door. This church who were praying for this exact thing. And we read through Acts about how this church, this early, the early church was a powerhouse of prayer. Well, the thing is, this church was still made up of ordinary, normal people. The church always has been and always will be made up of normal, ordinary people who have doubts, who have fears, who wrestle with unbelief. But there are also a church who have the Holy Spirit living within them, a Holy Spirit that allows us to have faith and confidence and conviction and strength to pray for miracles and to believe in them when they happen. But we do question, don't we, when a prayer has been answered, I will often think, oh, well, maybe that was going to happen anyway. Maybe that, maybe that thing was going to happen anyway. And I have to remind myself, no, this is something you're praying for. This is an answer to a prayer. This is not just a coincidence. And sometimes things happen like here, where it was unlikely that they'd be able to say, oh, well, you know, Peter's out of jail. It's just a coincidence. There are things that are more obvious that they're things that God has moved through. We need to remind ourselves that... Um, we need to remind ourselves that these things are miracles. These things are God moving. And it says here um, that they were, when they saw it was Peter, they were astonished. They were astonished because it had to be a miracle. And when they saw it, they were astonished. And I was reminded of this idea of needing to be astonished the other day. So I, this is a bit daft, but I get hiccups a lot and really badly. And it's really annoying and embarrassing. But um, I get them to the point where I feel like I'm going to be sick or like someone's stabbing me. And if I get them once in a day, chances are I'll get them another couple of times through the day. And I was sat at home and I did a hiccup and I just said a really short prayer. I just said, God, please just let that be the only one. And I didn't hiccup again. And I was kind of thought for a second, oh, that's cool. And then I thought, no, this never happens. This does not just, this isn't how it goes. I thought, this is amazing. I'm surprised that God has answered this prayer for me. And then I realized that I shouldn't be surprised. Shouldn't be surprised that God would want to answer that prayer, that he would want to heal me of those hiccups. But I should be astonished. I should be astonished by his grace and his goodness and his willingness to do that for me. We need to be astonished in the big things, in Peter being released from jail and in seeing incredible moves of God, of seeing salvation, of seeing incredible healings. We should be astonished by those things, but we should be astonished by the small things as well. The things that we could, if we wanted to, chalk up to coincidence, but we know that they're not and we should be astonished by them. Because being prayers who question is okay. It's okay to do that. It's a healthy thing to be questioning and, and to be wondering, but we need to realize a miracle when we see it and we need to be astonished by it. And as long as we are putting, giving the glory back to God for those miracles, we, we, it's natural. We're going to be prayers who question, just like the early church were. Is it really, is it really Peter at the door? It's probably not Peter at the door, is it? It's unlikely to be Peter at the door. But when they saw him, they realized it was and they were astonished and they glorified God for it. And then we read, carrying on in, oh, on the other side now, how exciting. Um, when we carry on reading in verse 17, and Peter says, tell James, and this is James, the brother of Jesus, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said. And then he left for another place. This miracle that we've just read about was a turning point in church history. We uh, read there that Peter left for another place, and it doesn't say where he's gone. 
but we don't really hear much about Peter now. Um, we In Acts 15, there's a mention of him. He speaks a little bit, but we don't really hear much about him. And the book of Acts turns its focus into Paul and his missionary work into um, the Middle East and Asia and Europe. And um, James, the brother of Jesus that we just spoke about there, he begins to lead the church in Jerusalem. This miracle that the church has been praying for is a huge turning point. It brings a lot of change that they maybe weren't expecting. And whenever we are petitioning God for something, when we're praying because we want to see a miracle, it is, I don't think I could think of a single example that wasn't for change. When we pray for healing, we're praying for that situation for, to change. We're praying for that body to be made whole. When we pray for financial provision, we're praying because we want to see a financial situation changed for relationships, for people's mental well-being, for peace, for everything that I could poss- I could think of. It's all, we're always praying for change. Every time we petition God for something, it's, we're praying for change in a situation. But we need to be ready to navigate that change when it happens. We need to be ready to navigate the change. Because sometimes as well, it doesn't just change that thing that we've been praying about. If we think about here with the early church, the situation, the specific thing they were praying about was for Peter to be released. They were praying that he would be out of jail and that he would be safe and he wouldn't be executed. And although those things happened, it didn't just go back to how it was. He didn't just come back in the position that he was in and um, carry on doing what he was doing. The whole thing changed in that moment. And sometimes we can pray for something and we see that prayer answered, but also there are ripple effects to it. It's not just this one bit of change that we have to navigate. We have to navigate through so much extra stuff and we need to be ready to navigate through that. And we're really fortunate that the early church did navigate through those changes, that they adapted through it and they thrived through it. And because of that, we're sat here 2000 years later reading about what they did because they were able to adapt, to navigate through that change, which is amazing. And we need to be ready to navigate through our change as well, because when God does answer a prayer in the way that we'd hoped, when he does bring that change, he also gives us the Holy Spirit to guide us through that change. And the Holy Spirit holds our hand through it and he lifts our eyes above the chaos that comes with change. And he allows us to see the good that God is bringing out of our changing situation as an answer to prayer. And we need that because as humans, we're not great with change, even good change. So you might have heard that people who win the lottery, not that long after, they're often in a worse position than when they started because they're just, they weren't ready. They weren't equipped for the change in financial provision that they had. And as humanity, we're not great at change, but we're really fortunate that we have a God who is willing to not just oversee the change from a distance, but that is willing to walk with us personally and guide us as individuals through change, help us navigate it. If we allow him to, that's the key thing. We have to allow the Holy Spirit access to our lives to counsel us, to change us, to shape us, to mold us into who God is calling us to be. We need to be prayers who navigate. And so at the end of this chapter, after James has been executed, after Peter has been arrested, after the church have prayed, after Peter's been released, and after the church have gone through this big shift and change, we read the end of chapter 12 from verse 23. It says, Because Herod did not give praise to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down and he was eaten by worms and died. 
But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. I love this. I love this way that Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, is reminding us, giving us perspective on what's happening. Because the thing is, Herod, although he was capable of causing so much hurt and so much distress and so much pain, he was just a man at the end of it all. He was a man who, like all of us, is subject to an earthly death. But God's word spread and flourished. The things that are causing us hurt and causing us pain, every single thing is under God. Even, that's not to diminish any pain, that's not to diminish any suffering because those things that we experience are real and they're tangible and we feel them in our here and now. But Luke is giving us a different perspective here. He's reminding us that the things that caused us to need to pray are subject to God they will die. They are not things that are forever, but the word of God spreads and flourishes. And that is such an encouragement to us, reminding us that God has power over all things, that he is in all things, that his love endures through all things. So that when we are in our times of needing to pray and petition to God, we're in our times of struggling, we can remember that we have a God who is eternal, who is over all things. And Herod was eaten by worms. (laughs) but we have to trust that this is true we have to trust that the god that we are praying to is the god that is eternal we have to trust that god is good that god is faithful that god has an ear that is ready to hear what we want to say to him that he has plans to prosper us and not to harm us that he is a good father that he is our healer that he is our provider that he turns everything around for good. We have to believe all these things of God, and they're just not nice things that I think about God. These are things that God says about himself in his word, that he loves us, that he cares for us. But we have to trust that. We have to trust that what God says about himself in the Bible is true as we are praying to him. We have to remember that the God that we pray to, the God that we put trust in, is a God with all power, all authority, who is over all things, who has ultimate sovereignty over everything, who is bigger and mightier, more majestic than we could ever start to comprehend, a God whose love for us is deeper than we could ever comprehend, a God who abounds in grace and mercy. That is the God that we are praying to when we pray. We have to trust that he is who he says he is and that he'll do what he says he's going to do. When we pray, we have to be prayers who trust in the power and authority of God. So I've spoken for a little while about things that, characteristics that we should have as prayers, that we should be prayers who endure, prayers who persist, prayers who question, prayers who navigate, and prayers who trust. But in order to be these things we have to be prayers don't we in order to be prayers who trust we have to be prayers first so i'm going to talk now about a few practical oh i nearly fell off the stage then um took too big a step forward we have uh, i'm going to talk about some practical ways that we can do this kind of thing because i think all of us at some point need help on our journey with prayer and it might be that you feel at the moment like you are doing awesome and i am that is cool but we can always be further on it might be that actually this is exactly what you need 
This is, um, yeah, this is something that I need. This is something I always need. I'm not um, someone necessarily who is naturally inclined to sit for 30 minutes in prayer in the day. Um, I tend to be more, I will pray kind of little bits and pieces through the day, but this is preparing. This has really encouraged me that actually maybe it's time to step into a new season of prayer. And maybe you're in the same situation that I am, that actually now it's ready to do something slightly differently. And the first thing is that we need to make time individually to pray with God, just one-on-one, just as our relationships with one another are enriched by one-on-one conversation our relationship with God is enriched by one-on-one conversation with him, individual prayer time. And like I say, that might look like sitting for 30 minutes or maybe not 30 minutes, however long, and focusing on things that you specifically want to pray about and spending time with God. It might be just that throughout the day, just little bits and pieces. But can I encourage you to actively think this week about how how your individual prayer life looks? How are you conversing with God individually on a daily basis? And the second thing as well is to pray in small groups. So we have connect groups that I know many of you are part of, and um, but I don't mean that at the moment. I mean smaller groups than that. I mean groups of maybe three. Um, three is really good for this because it's a group that is big enough that uh, you feel there's some accountability there, um, but it's small enough that it's a safe environment. It's somewhere where you can bear your soul a little bit more and know that it's entrusted within that three. So can I encourage you to grab two friends and to commit to praying with one another on a regular basis, actually meeting together. I have um, a number of friends who I will text and say, you know, this is happening. Will you pray for me? And I'm sure many of you have that, that prayer support. But can I encourage you to actually get together in a room, just three of you and pray together and commit to doing that on a regular basis. That's something I am definitely going to do today. And the third thing is um, to pray corporately. So we have lots of opportunities as a church to pray together. We meet every week on a Thursday uh, at seven o'clock. You might have seen in the news, we meet in the uh, cafe area and we pray together as a church every week. We think that's really important. And we meet together once a month as well, still on a Thursday, but for um, a time, a wider time of prayer. And we often have worship as part of that and we fast together. And we think it's so important that we are praying together as a church, that we come together corporately to pray for our church, to pray for our town, to pray for our nation, because we believe there is power in prayer. There is power in coming together to pray together. And again, in, um, in our service, we always make time to pray together. You may have noticed today, you may have thought, oh, the run sheet has changed a little bit. And that's because we have something very exciting happening after I finish speaking. Because we always think it's important to make time to pray together as a church every week. And also, there's kind of, support that we need in prayer like I said you may have people that you text and say you know this is happening and I need prayer for it but every week as well we have our prayer ministry team they're usually just down here after the service and they are always so ready to pray with people they're not just standing there kind of thinking oh maybe someone will come pray they are eager to pray with you so please do come and speak to them they are our prayer warriors they will stand with you and they'll pray with you we have, again, like I say, our connect groups. We, those of you that are in connect groups will know we pray together every time we meet. We pray for the things that are um, within us that we need prayer for. Or just grab someone. I don't think there's anyone within this room that if you grab them and said, you know, I need, can you pray with me for this, would say, no, thank you. I'm pretty sure anyone that I've ever grabbed and said, can, I just, can you pray with me about this, please? Everyone has always said, yes, of course I will. 
So can I just encourage you, we're all family here. Just grab someone if you need prayer and they will pray with you, no questions. So we have talked about how, what we can, how we can be as prayers. We've talked about ways we can do it. But it might be that actually you have never prayed before and that's because you don't have a relationship with Jesus yet. And that relationship starts with a prayer. It starts with us saying to God, you know, you are, um, you are over all things, like we've said, that the things that we have done, the things that we strive to do to be a better person, those things don't work, that we need Jesus to bridge the gap for us. And when we realize that and we come to Jesus and we say, you know, be the Lord of my life, be the savior of my life, come and live in me through your Holy Spirit. That starts through a prayer. It starts with us saying that to God. And we're going to give the opportunity in a moment if today is the day that you feel you want to start on that journey. We're all going to pray a prayer together. Everyone's going to close their eyes afterwards and bow their heads. And if that's a decision you're making for yourself today, I just want to ask you to raise your hand just so that um, just so that I can see, so I can come and have a chat with you and just so that a member of our prayer team that I mentioned so that they can come and have a chat with you. So we're all going to do that together in a moment. And then, um, yeah, we'll do that first. And then... We'll see where we go from there. Does that sound good? Is the prayer on the screen already? No. Ooh. So we're going to pray through this together. Thank you, God, for loving me before I ever loved you. Thank you, Jesus, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I can get connected to you now because you are alive today. I admit that I have lived my life without you and have messed up. I ask for your total forgiveness and I commit myself to you. Help me to submit my life to your teaching and direction from now on. I receive you into my life and ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit. Can I just ask that everyone closes their eyes and bows their heads? And and I just want to ask if you've made that decision for the first time this morning, would you be brave and just raise your hand? I'm going to give a couple of moments for this. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your goodness. I thank you for your abundant grace, for your mercy, Lord. I thank you that you love us so much that you cannot wait to hear from us. You cannot wait for us to pray to you, to um, to bring ourselves to you in prayer. Lord, I thank you that through the power of your Holy Spirit, Lord, you enable us to have faith. You enable us to bring things to you when words fail us, that you know what is in us. You know what needs to get out, even when we can't find the words. Lord, I thank you that you're always listening. I thank you that you always answer our prayers, even if it's not necessarily in the way that we'd hoped. I thank you that you always care. thank you that your love for us is so wide so deep and I thank you Lord that we can put our trust in you I pray that each one of us leaves here just with a little bit more faith in you a little bit more trust in who you are in what you've done in what you've said that you're going to do for us Lord amen so did you know I mean Bryn spoke a little bit about this earlier as we went into worship about how sometimes when we worship these songs can be prayers they are us singing to God they're us singing um yeah singing prayers and so we are going to give some practical time to 
to do some of these things that we've spoken about this morning. So we're going to go into a time of sung worship and we're going to sing uh, one of the songs that we've sung already this morning that sings through the Lord's Prayer, the way that Jesus taught us to pray. And I can I just encourage you, use this as a prayer to God. Use this as an opportunity to sing your prayers to God. that sound good? Fab. So why don't we all stand and worship? That's all from us today. Thanks for listening. We pray you have a great day.